97.9 The Hill, WCHL, and the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media present Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. Sports Focus, dedicated to in-depth examination of issues of overriding importance in the sports world. Each week, we'll discuss problems and look for solutions in professional, collegiate, and amateur sports. From Carroll Hall on the Carolina campus, here's your host, UNC journalism professor, Charlie Tuggle. Welcome to Sports Focus. Our topic today, cheating in sports. Our guest, Travis Tigert, head of the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency and a Carolina alum. So, Travis, I want to talk about cheating in general, but let's uh, go specifically to your wheelhouse first, and that's doping. Uh, The Russians at the Olympics in recent years, the East German swimmers back in the day, it's not like it's a new thing. People doping to perform better at the Olympics. What's happening with the Russian team in Tokyo, and how does that compare to the situation in Rio, which many people thought was, you know, they they didn't really get banned at all. They competed, just not under the Russian flag. Yeah, well, Charlie, first, thanks for having me. It's always great to talk to you, and I appreciate the opportunity. Listen, I I think what's the, the difference between sort of East Germany and some of those episodes you you indicated was now there is a focus within you know sport that that frankly came from athletes who got together and said you know what enough is enough we don't want cheaters in our sport and we want sport and independent organizations such as ours to to put a stake in the ground and say you know what sport is not about cheating in fact the very essence of sport is it's a game between competitors yes someone wants to win and we want to compete hard to win but it's form basically by the rules themselves so to to go contrary to the rules in order to achieve is the you know antithesis of what sport is is all about with respect to the russians listen i think it's a huge milestone that a state-sponsored doping scheme in this day and age by a rogue dictatorship country right like russia has been exposed and while we are have been somewhat disappointed in the international olympic committee and the world anti-doping agencies handling of that exposure. The fact that it was exposed by whistleblowers, by the testing system, I think is a tremendous sign to clean athletes that there are people out there and independent organizations out there that that want to ensure that you're right to compete in a healthy and in a safe way and on a level playing field is going to be upheld. And and so we're hopeful, you know, they're going to the court of arbitration for sport will uphold the decision to not allow um, the Russian flag and the Russian delegation into the Tokyo 2020 Games. We'll see um, ultimately how that legal process plays out. But we've been very you know, vocal in supporting um, the right outcome so that clean athletes know that their rights are going to be protected as best as they possibly can. So you think it'll be much like Rio, that Russian athletes will compete, they just won't be called, uh, well, uh, they sort of were called Russian <laughs> <laughs> what's what's it going to be? Yeah, well, that that's the that's the question. What what Wada has said is no Russian flag. Russia can send a delegation of neutral quote unquote athletes, and and that's what happened in Rio. That's what happened in Pyeongchang at the 2018 Winter Olympic Games. We we thought that was a farce, right? And everyone knew. Russia had a full delegation, and their athletes were able to compete, even though the Russian anthem wasn't played, even though the Russian flag wasn't there. Everyone knew these are Olympic athletes from Russia. So our our position, along with many athletes around the world, including those here in the United States and other national federations, 
um, has stood up and said, look, enough is enough. They've been given repeated chances to play by the rules, and, it, and it's finally time. Yes, they're a big, powerful country that puts a lot of money into Olympic sport, but you know what? It, enough is enough, and you've got to put in a serious consequence and, and ban them completely from those games. That That issue is now before the judges from the Court of Arbitration for Sport, and, and they'll have to make a decision whether they can go farther with a complete ban or if they're going to agree with what WADA has recommended, which would be similar to Rio and the Pyeongchang that I just described, or they could ultimately say there is no legal basis to hold them out of the games and allow them to have a full Russia flag and anthem and uniform um, delegation of athletes from from Russia, which would be you know a terrible outcome, I think, given where we are and the depth of the fraud and the deceit that literally robbed hundreds of athletes of not only medals but competition results around the world over the past, you know, going back to, to 2011, 2010. If that worst case scenario were to happen, uh, what do you think would be, uh, and I'm asking you to conjecture here, what would be the res- the response from clean athletes around the world? Well, listen, I, I think it's horrible that we've put ath- clean athletes in a position. We saw it in the in the world championships for swimming last year when there was a Chinese athlete, you know, uh, Sun Yang, who had... Uh, one of the top swimmers in the world, you know, the Michael Phelps of China, if you will, who had a pending case, and he was allowed to compete. And you saw athletes who refused to get on the podium with him, who protested during those um, that, that, the swimming uh, world championships. I, I, I hate the fact that athletes are possibly going to be put in that position. I think you saw a, a shot across the bow from Thomas Bach, the president of the IOC, a couple weeks ago, who said that if there are protests, they will be enforcing what they call Rule 50, which is a, a very punitive and a lot of people's mind rule that would punish athletes if they do protest. But but listen, I, I hope the powers that be don't put athletes in that position. I think it I think it is a untenable position for an athlete to have to be in to you know at, in the moment when the competition is supposed to be what the headlines are about. That athletes are forced to have to claim their right. Um, but we'll ultimately see what happens. I, I want to put faith in the system, and I hope the court of arbitration ultimately does the right thing and and the right outcome based on the rules and the facts. And again, no one's asking for anything other than the rules to be applied to the facts and the egregious level of fraud and deceit and the number of victims are out there, in our opinion, under the facts, under those set of facts and, and the, the rules um, the only proportionate response is to not allow them to compete in the games. Sports Focus will be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus. We're talking about cheating in sports. Uh, specifically, at, at the moment, we're talking about doping in sports. But Travis, you mentioned putting athletes in a very bad situation. What about not doping per se, but a biological man taking estrogen and other treatments to, and is in the process of becoming a woman, and I don't know how you even define that, but then competes as a woman. How is that different from outright doping? Yeah, I, I tell you, it's it's a really complex and, and tough issue, and it's one that sport has attempted to draw rules around, really where, and and look, I think at the end of the day, 
every the balance is you want everyone to have an uh, an opportunity to compete regardless of you know how they're born or how they identify um it, but in the same token you want fairness in the competition i mean i think you know certain sports have rules that classify you know we would never have in in boxing for example have a 200 you know pound person fight a 130 pound person we we know that is an inherent unfairness and a dangerous situation that would arise that you wouldn't do we do have classifications based on you know you know men versus women um, so it's really where sport as these complex issues of science and nature and, and personal individual rights to choose how you want to be identified, um, you know, hit sport firsthand. And, and let's just hope, uh, unlike some of the cases, the Castor-Semenyan case, for example, which was terribly handled, let's hope it's done in a decent way where there's sufficient, you know, evidence-based information to draw fair and reasonable rules that effectively balance those two interests and then publish that well in advance and give people an opportunity to know what the rules are well in advance, not after the fact. And and listen, I think those rules in track and field, for example, have been um, legally challenged. They're continuing to be legally challenged and we'll ultimately see where they fall out. But, you know, certainly it's a tough, complicated issue that you hope, um, you know, common sense and fairness ultimately um, rules the day. And it really doesn't affect um, anti-doping, although there are situations where we have people that transition, for example, and part of that transitioning, if you go from, you know, an identified female to a male, you need to use testosterone, which is a prohibited substance. And, and there are mechanisms within our process where someone can obtain those drugs, um, even though they would give a performance advantage and get essentially approval for the period of time that they're transitioning, for example, um, to, to ensure that they're not gaining an unfair competitive advantage. And there's a cessation of co- competition um, while that transition happens until they then can compete, for example, in that scenario in the, in the men's division. All right. So let's, uh, let's move a little bit into the broader area of cheating. Can you tell our audience uh, what the Goldman dilemma is? Yeah, listen, I, you know, that study has been around for, and, and look, I wouldn't even call it a study. It was sort of a survey at the end of a race where they asked supposedly athletes. I, I think it's been refuted from a scientific evidentiary standpoint. You know, other surveys of that nature have been done. In fact, we did one very, very similar to it, um, you know, two years ago, and the the numbers are not anywhere near that amount. And, and you know, surveys obviously can say what you want them to say to a, to a certain extent. But I, but I think what's really important and, it, and it's why you're seeing athletes stand up more and more and be more and more vocal. Athletes know winning by cheating is not winning. While there are pressures on athletes, sometimes by coaches, as we saw in Russia, sometimes by state officials that put them in situations where they really maybe don't feel like they have a choice, at the end of the day, they know cheating is wrong and winning by cheating is wrong. Um, and, and they want the powers that be to enforce their rights. And I think we see athletes, whether it's Michael Phelps testifying in front of Congress a couple of years ago, um, other athletes, Kara Goucher coming forward, the two Russian whistleblowers coming forward, people saying, uh, you know, we're, we are tired of being, you know, second-class citizens when it comes to our rights to compete clean. And we want you to enforce our rights. And, and they're being very vocal about it and standing up for the rights. And I think we've got, in the Olympic movement, 
somewhat special. I think it's not pure entertainment. While of course it you know provides a ton of entertainment value, there's something different and more unique about it than just entertaining competition um, through sport. Um, but our Olympic athletes are standing up like never before and supporting our efforts for clean sport and saying, you know, we want our rights enforced and we don't want to have to become frauds and use dangerous drugs in order to be successful. And we're expecting you as the independent national anti-doping agency here in the United States to do everything you can to give us the right to compete on a level playing field. All right. Let me just go back to Goldman for a second and explain to our listeners what that is. Uh, as as you said, it was a, survey, a series of surveys, actually, over a number of years, asking athletes if there were a pill that you could take that would guarantee Olympic gold, but it would also guarantee your death five years later, would you take it? Let's say one person says yes to that. That one person, if they're willing to die five years later, they certainly would be willing to cheat. So what... It, is it that important? Is sports glory that important that you would that you would cheat your way to it, that you would die for it? Uh, for some few people, however many that is, it does seem to be that important. Yeah, listen, I, I, I think it's, it's more of a, a sad commentary, even assuming one, one out of five, right, or the links people would go to in order to be, become a sporting hero. I think it's a sad commentary on our society that we have lionized the winners of sport. But, but frankly, it's not unique to sport, right? I think you you framed this show as cheating in sport, but it but sport is frankly in this instance a reflection of society, and we have a win at all costs and win at any cost mentality in a lot of the professions and industries and activities that we participate in, and I think it's an erosion of you know, certainly moral standards, ethical views that, yes, winning is absolutely important and we all want to win. And look, it's been a devastating few weeks around my house with the Tar Heels uh, basketball team, you know, <laughs> situation over the last few weeks. But but that doesn't mean that we go and, and cheat in order to win. And, and that's where the line, you know, used to be drawn so clearly and people were reluctant to step over that line because they knew and in their heart of hearts that cheating to to win is not really winning and and people respected that and they respected one another but that breakdown of just common decency and respect for other people where you're willing to trample their rights and step on their head to get ahead um unfortunately is just so prevalent within our society today that sport you know necessarily is going to reflect that and i think that it does and it, and it's exactly why we have to have you know not only education programs in place to convince athletes and continue to persuade them that playing the right way is the only way to truly win, but then also have enforcement mechanisms to ensure that, hey, it's not worth the risk. If you step over the line, if you attempt to cheat to, if you cheat to to win, you're going to be caught, you're going to be exposed, and you're going to be tossed out of sport for a long period of time and and ensure that the, the, the risk of it is simply not worth any, you know, reward that might come from um, you making the decision to cheat to win. Sports Focus comes back right after this. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus and our chat with Travis Tigert about cheating in sports. So, Travis, there's a recent article in Forbes that basically makes the argument that if 
cheating is as rampant, uh, doping and other forms of cheating are as rampant as it seems to be, why don't we give up trying to change behavior and just change the rules? Look, X percent of people are doping, everybody dope. And then we'll then we'll have a level playing field. What do you think of that argument? Yeah, well, first I don't I don't buy the premise that everyone's doing it and you can't enforce it. I, I think you look at the what's happened, you know, when independent organizations like ours and the World Anti Doping Agency have come into existence. I think the game has changed entirely, and where we are today is way ahead of where we were, you know, just a decade or two ago when we first opened shop. And I think clean athletes have um, every opportunity and can win by competing clean today, even in the most competitive, highest levels of competition. That said, if you want to say, look, we don't we don't care if people use these drugs, right? Like in, in certain baseball leagues, you can use metal bats like you evolve. And let's say these drugs are part of that. So it's let's get rid of the rules. Let's let athletes do whatever they want you know, work out with weights, use metal bats, whatever the case may be to get ahead. Um, I I think there are some, while I think it's a convenient um, place to go for some people, I think it would be horribly um, difficult to have sport in the way that we know it and love it today under that set of circumstances. Because number one, I don't think it would be a level playing field because the drugs act differently in different people. Some people respond to the drugs very well. Some people don't respond at all to the drugs. And so you would necessarily create an environment that to be the best in sport is just how your body naturally responds to certain drugs. I think, too, you'd have an arms race. And even though it might be in you know okay within the rules to use certain amount of drugs, I think there would have to be some regulation of how much or I think you'd see athletes pushing themselves to, to death. And literally, we saw in cycling back in the late 90s where a number of young cyclists were using too much EPO and ultimately you know, died. And many of them were having to wake up at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning to hop on their trainer to ensure that their blood didn't become so thick that they went into a, some sort of cardiac episode and, and also die. So I, so I think the arms race just continues and, and you're not in any better of a position. I, I think the third point is I think the market value of sport would change entirely. I think if people wanted to see, you know, robots or chemically induced people ride up the mountain in the Tour Genetically de France. Genetically engineered or athletes. Yeah. What's that? Genetically engineered athletes. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's what the market value of sport holds um, for society. I think we love sport in part because we're, you know, we like sitting on the couch or in the stands and saying, gosh, man, if I would have just practiced a little bit harder or had a little bit better, you know, three-point shot, I could have been doing that myself. If it suddenly becomes, well, if I had that chemist, I could do it. I, I just think it, it turns it into more of a circus. I, I think the fourth and final point um, Charlie, that I would say, and as a father of three, you know, not so young anymore, but high school and under kids who love sport, um, I, I think the trickle-down effect would be devastating. I think if it takes drugs to make, you know, the Charlotte Hornets basketball team or the Panthers football team, then it's absolutely going, and it will if you open it up. You will have to use those because they're such a performance difference maker. You would have to use them to play on the Carolina team. And then if you have to use them to play on the Carolina team, you're going to have to use them to play on the local high school team. And the question then becomes, at what age are we willing to, you know, inject potentially dangerous drugs into our kids in order that they one day might have an opportunity to play at the highest levels of their professional dream, you know, playing a sport? And, and I just don't think that's a world for any one of those reasons that sport wants to go down. 
And that does it for this edition of Sports Focus. Thanks to our guest, Travis Tigert. Thanks also to engineer Gary Kirk. And as always, thanks to you for listening. Cheers. Thanks to Richard Southall, Mark Nagel, and Deborah Southall at the College Sport Research Institute at the University of South Carolina for their research and guidance and for access to CSRI's international network of sources. Sports Focus is a service of UNC's Hussman School of Journalism and Media.